Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good morning again to my church family. So good to see you guys. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Hey, uh, this morning when I, I came into church, something interesting happened. Uh, I came in and I noticed out, uh, out front uh, at the main doors, there was a box there and it had my name on it. And uh, the first thing that went through my mind was, it's a bomb. Uh, so I'm starting going through in my mind, like, what have I been preaching about recently? Uh, I'm not quite sure what this is. So I said Chris Sorensen on it, uh, and about that time, I saw Raider Vert, one of our greeters, uh, coming up. I'm like, hey, Raider, there's a, a box here with my name on it. And Raider, he's like, I got a knife. You want me to open it? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, yes, uh, because it could, I didn't say this to him, it could be a bomb. So I'm like, I'm not going to lie, I stepped back a little bit as he cracked it open, opened it up, and when nothing happened, I looked in, and inside was a, a blue box, and inside the blue box was brand new shoes. Somebody got me some, look at those, look, look at that. I mean, so these are, these are Birkenstocks, and there's no way I'm hitting these with Sharpies. Uh, so yeah, if you've not been around here, a couple weeks ago, I showed my shoes that I got like from Costco, and when the black goes off of them, I just hit them with a Sharpie. So anyway, somebody had mercy on me, and they're like, ah, let's get the pastor some shoes. And so I started thinking, well, what else should I talk about? Like, I, like, I collect gold. <laughs> my, my daughter said, hey, could you let people know that I collect AG dolls, American Girl dolls? I'm like, no. I'm into silver and gold. So anyway, whomever did that, thank you. That, that was very kind, and I'm also happy to be alive. And so, <laughs> so anyway, hey, uh, we need to know why we exist individual, individually, and then we need to know why we exist as a church. The reason that we gather here together, uh, we gather to inspire people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. And when you think about that word wholehearted, it, the heart is that place where we, we imagine that there's love, right? So what are we going to love? Well, let's love the same things that Jesus loved. He loves God. He loves the church, and he loves the world. So those are three areas that we say, all right, let's boil this down. What does it mean if we're going to be wholehearted? And if we're going to grow in those three areas, that takes time. It takes time with God. It takes time with one another, and it takes time caring for the world around us. And we've boiled this down, and we said if we can just take 5% of our life as a starting point, if we would invest in those, that 5%, it's going to transform and change the rest of our lives. Uh, this, this little video kind of walks us through that. Check this out. At Brookville Road Community Church, we exist to create wholehearted followers of Jesus. But what does a wholehearted follower of Jesus look like? We believe it involves loving what Jesus loved, loving God, loving the church, and loving the world. So how do you deepen these three relationships? By investing your time in something we call the 5% life. The 5% life is made up of three parts. The first is God time. Time spent in fellowship with God individually and corporately. 1% of your day, approximately 15 minutes in personal devotion daily, and 1% of your week, approximately an hour and a half in corporate worship weekly. The second part is group time, which is time spent consistently in community with a small group from my church. 1% of your month, approximately 7 hours gathered in a small group consistently. 
Finally, go time, which is time spent annually going on mission locally and globally. 2% of your year, approximately seven days spent in local and global mission. If you invest your life in the 5% life as a starting point, the other 95% of your life will be changed forever. So in those three areas, when we invest time, it changes, it transforms things. And so I would just encourage you in the area of God time, spending time with the Lord, if you're looking for maybe a resource to, to help you out, we've got some devotionals that we've put together to help you in that process to start a new rhythm in your life. Uh, you just see me after the service, be happy to give you one of those. Uh, when it comes to group time with Pastor Paul transitioning off of staff, Pastor Jay is going to kind of hold that for a little while. And so for our group members and individuals who have yet to get into a group, Pastor Jay and the team there, they would love to get you connected in the life of the church. And when it comes to go time, right now, in fact, we, we have Pastor Andy and Pastor Hubert and their families, and they're over in Africa, and they're with one of our strategic partners over there with Mike Henderson and Heart of Africa. And one of the things that Pastor Andy's doing in the area of missions, we want to make sure that we can draw this clear distinction between what we do as mission around the world and what we do as a church in the area of go time, where we're actually investing time and energy in places outside of these walls. And so in, in this coming year, uh, Pastor Andy and the team, we're, we're thinking about how can we do very creatively this go time? How can we take and invest our lives in people around in this world outside of these walls? So uh, th those are all things that I want you to be aware of. Now, I realize that that's like a lot of information. We've tried to boil it down and make it really small. The challenge is in, in this world, we have so much stuff that's flying at us. Like we have tons of options everywhere. Like there's no shortage of options. Like you can get anything you want. Like if you want to watch a movie, you can download the movie and you can watch it instantly. Uh, if, if you want some music, any kind of music, whatever kind of song, you can download it. You can get anything anywhere, anytime. And it's almost like we have so much coming at us. Like there's a paralysis of analysis. Like we have all of these things to analyze and are just overwhelmed. Like when you go to the Cheesecake Factory and you're looking through the book, the menu book, like you're like, I thought I wanted what it was on page four. 42, but page 77, well, that has some great stuff too. And it's almost like we get frozen because there's so much. And I don't know for sure, but I think that might even happen when it comes to our faith, when it comes to learning, because there's no shortage of options when it comes to, to learning from God's word. We have all kinds of different Bible studies and devotionals, and uh, you can go and read books, you can get podcasts, you can watch things on TV or listen to it on the radio. And we have all of this stuff coming at us. And now you got some guy standing up on a platform and he's giving you even more information. And so it can get overwhelming. The thing that I have is a hope today is that as you walk out of here today, that, that you wouldn't leave thinking, I really stink. I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I don't want you to leave thinking, God must hate me because I'm not really pulling my, my way here. I need to do more in order to have God love me. I need to do more to earn my salvation. I'm, I'm not preaching salvation by earning today. This isn't grace plus anything. Like, like our salvation, that's already been worked out 
by Jesus Christ. All of the effort, all of the energy, all of the work, that has been accomplished by him. There's not a thing that you and I bring to the table. We just bring our sin as he calls us to himself. So don't leave today thinking, well, I'm really gonna have to just step up my game so that God loves me and I earn my salvation. That's not what I want you walking out of here with. But I would have us be challenged by the inspired revelation of God's word. As we open up God's word, we will see that there is a call on our lives to put some effort in because none of us, nobody accidentally gravitates toward holiness outside of spirit-empowered, grace-driven effort. Nobody accidentally drifts toward godliness. Nobody drifts towards being obedient to the scripture. Nobody drifts towards being faithful Well, we tend to drift toward, you and I will drift towards things like, I don't know, uh, compromise. And then then we say, well, the the compromise in my life, well, that's, that's really just tolerance. I'm being a tolerant individual. We'll drift towards disobedience and we'll say, no, this is freedom. We'll, We'll drift towards superstition. And we say that superstition is faith. What we end up doing is we kind of slouch into a, a lazy, undisciplined kind of faith. And we say, well, you know, I'm escaping legalism in my life. Or we start entertaining sin and we say, well, I'm just liberated and I can do all of this. The problem that we have is at the core, again, the heart. The problem we have is we, we tend to drift and we don't pay attention to being transformed by the Holy Spirit. We don't pay attention to what God wants to do on the inside of us to make us a new man, to make us a new woman in Christ. And so what people would rather do is they'd rather virtue signal than be virtuous. Virtue is is that godliness. Virtue is holiness. It's righteousness. And so people would rather virtue signal. They'd like to put out the signal that they're virtuous, right? And we can do this in Christianity, and we can kind of virtue signal, like we'll put the bumper sticker on the car. We'll walk into the room. Did you see I showed up at church? Uh, Maybe put a scripture verse uh, uh, up on social media. And then you have in this world a whole world that's more than happy to virtue signal, and it has nothing to do with godliness. It really has to do with the social social soup du jour, whatever is most, you know, prevalent in our societies to make you look like somebody who cares and is virtuous. And so, you know, we're going to go ahead and we'll put up the flag, um, we'll get the pronouns, uh, we'll, we'll change the social profile so it looks like we have virtue, but that's just a bunch of hypocrisy as well, when what we are lacking is a true virtue, a godliness that comes from the inside out. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher from a while ago, Jonathan Edwards says we have two different ways of approaching an action. One way would be true virtue. And true virtue is where we're for Jesus, we're for the kingdom, we're for the work of God in this world, and we make it all about him. And then he says the other way to go about it would be common virtue. And common virtue's for us. It's not really for God, it's not really for Jesus and for his kingdom. And the way that we operate out of a common virtue, we're motivated by two things. We're motivated by either fear or pride. It would look like this. Like if you have uh, uh, some Christian friends around you, like your community is Christian friends, you, you would say something like, well, I'm not going to sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because what would, what would my community think about me? That, that is operating out of fear. You're just afraid of what other people will think. That's not a true virtue. 
Or, or you say, you know what? I'm not going to go out and, and get hammered or get stoned because I don't want my friends to think that I'm a loser. That's operating out of pride. None of those things come from a true virtue from the inside of godliness where our hearts are being transformed. And so if we're going to have true lasting change in our lives, it's not going to come from virtue signaling. It's not going to come from trying to look like a good Christian and put on a performance. It is going to come from this true virtue. And any kind of motivation that's going to last in your life, it's not going to come from pride. It's not going to come from fear. It's going to come from love. It is you and I operating from love, not even running toward love, not even trying to get God's love. It's coming from love. It's like, I'm going to start and I'm going to put energy into and run, and I'm not running out of being afraid, and I'm not running so that I can be seen by everybody by pride. No, I'm, I'm running out of the love that God has poured into my heart through his son, Jesus Christ. We get in the starting blocks of life, the gun goes off, and we start running, not because we're afraid, and not because we want everybody to look at how great we are. We're running because of the love of God that has been placed in our heart and the spirit that begins to empower us. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So Paul today is motivating us to action. Not to earn love, not to run toward love, but to operate out of love, motivated from love. And he's not even saying here, like, uh, you, you need to run in order to obtain salvation. That's not what he's saying. That wouldn't be congruent with anything else that he has ever said before. So this isn't you and I, like, we're going to work and we're trying to get God's love and we're going to try to earn our way into heaven. No, this is a motivation from love, but there's some effort here. And that effort and the direction and the power of it doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me and our own strength because we're weak. We are weak. We'll, we'll last two weeks trying to be good on our own. But if we could have a different power source that we plug into, that changes everything. In fact, this is the way that Peter put it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, or God's divine power, not your power, not your strength, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It goes on. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be become partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that crazy? Like you and me becoming partakers of a divine nature? that you and I could be a part of, of who God is? How does that happen? Well, it happens when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we repent of our sins, when we accept the payment that Jesus paid for us on the cross. We come to him, his spirit is placed in us, and now we're partaking in this divine nature of this maker, this God, who takes us from a place of death and breathes life into us through his spirit. Now we're empowered to truly live, and until you know Christ. You're not really living. You're still dead. But you have this opportunity to plug into him, into this divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And we see that everywhere. 
For this very reason, Peter says, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, virtue signaling, real virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. He keeps building, right? And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So Peter says, lean into the power that comes from almighty God that has been placed in you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you receiving his spirit. And now you begin to operate your life out of that strength, not your own effort, but this divine power that comes from above. And so Paul comes along and he brings in like this random athletic illustration. And he says, run, run this life, run this race and run in such a way so that you might obtain the prize. Well, if you're going to run and you're going to run to win, friend, that's going to take effort. That's going to take some discipline. That's going to take sacrifice. That's going to take determination in your life if you're actually going to run this life to win in the way that Paul is talking about this. We've all watched Olympics, right? And we've seen people who win. And what we do for those people in our society, how we kind of, you know, lift them up and immortalize them. We remember names, right? Like, Jesse Owens, Carl Lewis, Hussein Bolt. Uh, There once was a man by the name of Bruce Jenner. (laughs) So they they would run and run to win. It took effort. Take sacrifice. He says, run that you might obtain this prize. I mean, think about, think about all of the effort, all of the energy that takes into to the fact that you want to win. Think about Michael Phelps, right? 23 gold medals, the most ever. Do you think Michael Phelps went to practice going, I wonder what the minimum I can do today and still win a gold medal? No, that wasn't his thought. His thought was, what is the maximum output that I can get and give in order to accomplish this goal of winning? So sacrifice, it looks hard. It looks like, man, that's something I don't know that I really want. But in the end, it's worth it. And Paul has decided, I'm willing to sacrifice anything and everything in order to obtain salvation. No, not salvation. He's already obtained salvation. It wasn't his work. That's the work of God. He's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice anything and everything if other people might come to know Jesus. The win is when people are one to Christ. We take this verse, we take it out of context, and we think, well, he's just, you know, run to win to get into heaven. That's not it. The whole context of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is leading to this point. Because remember, 1 Corinthians 9, he's saying we need to limit our liberty out of love. Because there are people around us who don't, need Jesus, who don't have Jesus Christ. They need Jesus Christ. And so we're going to lay down our rights. We're going to lay down our stuff so that they might receive him. Leading up to this verse, verses 18 through 23, he's like, I'm going to do anything for the gospel. Uh, to a Jew, I became a Jew. To those who are Gentile, I became like a Gentile. I'll do all things for all people so that in some way they might receive Christ. So that they might be one to Jesus, this is what he's getting at. This is the win. I'll limit my liberty so that somebody might come to receive the gospel. I don't want to stand in the way. I'm putting all of my energy into that win. All of my effort 
not into getting into heaven. That, that work's been done. This is so that Christ might be known. In fact, this is what Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Who are the elect? The elect are those chosen by God. The elect are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the beginning of the foundation of the world. They're all ready. They are individuals who belong to God. And Paul is saying, I'm going to keep sharing the gospel so that those who are elect and their name is written in the Lamb's book of life so that they'll get to know them, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In other words, I'll do anything. I will do anything with my life. Like I'll go to prison, I'll go to jail, I'll set aside my life, I'll die. I most certainly will sacrifice some of my rights so that somebody else might come to know Jesus as their Savior. So in the first part of 1 Corinthians 9, what what we find Paul doing and saying is, I I am going to exhibit self-denial. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to limit my liberty so that others might come to know Jesus. Now he ends this chapter by talking about self-control. First, it was self-denial. I'm not the most important person in the room, Paul would say. There are people who need to know Jesus, and I'm going to spend my life for the gospel. And now he starts talking about some self-control in his life. Uh, Verse 24 again, don't you know, then erase all the runners run, run in such a way that you might obtain the prize. Drop down to verse 27. But I discipline Self-control. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I don't think Paul is saying here that he can lose his salvation because that wouldn't be congruent with things that he said already like in Romans chapter 8. But also, I I don't think what's happening here is he, he would not presume upon actions that are contrary to the gospel. He wouldn't presume upon his salvation. And also, uh, speaking about being disqualified, we've all seen ministers, missionaries, people who have disqualified themselves. They could not keep control of their body. They had no self-control, and they ended up shipwrecking their testimony, and they disqualified themselves and brought shame to the gospel. And Paul's saying, I don't want any of that. He's saying, if you're going to limit your liberty... That's going to be discipline, right? Now I'm going to self-deny myself. And then he starts saying, if we're going to keep moving forward with this gospel on purpose, it's going to take some self-control. Ever since the, the days of Alexander the Great in the 330s BC, uh, the, the Greek culture has been all about athletics. They, they, they built around that. And imagine the self-control and discipline that it takes to be at the top of your game. And so in the Greek culture, they had two major events. I mean, we've, heard, we've heard the first one for sure, right? The Olympics. So the Olympics, they were held every four years at Olympia. Uh, they, they would do that in dedication to their god, Zeus. But then there was another tournament that they would have, and it's called the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games weren't, wasn't to Zeus, it was to Poseidon. And it was held every two years. And they would hold the Isthmian Games at Isthmia, which is eight miles away 
from, modern, or from ancient Corinth. So just eight miles away, it's on that land bridge, that isthmus, and isthmia, they would have this huge event. They would have these Olympic games where people would come and they would compete against one another. And the way that it would work is if you were going to compete in the Isthmian Games and you were an athlete, you would have to take 10 months and prove that for 10 months you have been working and putting in effort and you have been training. In the final 30 days, they would invite people, they'd have to come into the community of Isthmia for the last 30 days, which is interesting because as they all gathered, you have all of these athletes and eventually spectators and where would they live? What would they need? Tents. And so you have Paul in Corinth. He's earning a living in the sweet spot. There's all of these tents that would be needed. And so he's preparing. And at the same time, he can put this church up. And so what we have is we, we have all of these individuals for that last 30 days. They had to go to the gymnasium every single day. And they had to work and work hard. After they had completed all that, 10 months of training, 30 days every day in the gymnasium, then and only then were they allowed to compete and run in that race. And when those individuals would win a race, whether it was the Olympics or the Isthmian Games, they got an award. They got a wreath. In the Olympics, you would get an olive wreath originally. And then in the Isthmian Games, you get a wreath. It was a pine wreath. And only one person won. Just one person received the award. Like second place, they didn't get anything. They didn't even get like a lima bean casserole. Like nothing. Right, that's for last place. Like, sorry, you're a loser. Eat your lima beans. Right? So anyway, back to context. What we have are the Corinthians at this time, and they're all caught up in themselves. They're all caught up in their rights. They're all caught up in themselves in such a way that they're dismissing people who need the gospel, and they're missing out on winning the prize. And that prize is winning someone to Jesus Christ. Them realizing that they've been elected, they've been called by God, and they still step into the good news of the gospel. But he says this is going to take self-denial, and now he's saying it's going to take some self-control. Back up to verse 25, every athlete exercises. Everybody in Corinth knows this. They're right there in the center of all of the Isthmian games. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable it takes effort. It takes energy. You got to keep working and striving if you're going to achieve. Anybody here participate in athletics growing up? High school, elementary, high school, college? All right. Like we, we know, we know the amount of energy and effort that goes into like if we're going to be a winning team. Like you go down here and you see the new pal football team. They're like, this doesn't happen by accident. They're in the weight room. Uh, they're putting energy. They're putting effort. It's a lot of discipline to get there. And that's how you win. That's how you succeed. You don't succeed in anything in this life without self-control. You're not going to succeed and move forward without some self-discipline when it comes to academics, when it comes to your job. And when it comes to uh, your spiritual life, when it comes to your marriage, anywhere, anytime, anything that's worth anything is going to take a bit of self-control and self-discipline in your life. And so the way that we win souls through self-control is we set this goal in front of us. And Paul says, look, if a, if a man can end up putting such strenuous activity into winning uh, just a bunch of sticks, a pine wreath, what should we be doing to win people to Jesus? Again, energy, 
effort, discipline. Those of you, again, in sports, if you've been there, you know that. I, I grew up playing sports. I've mentioned that before. I played football, basketball, baseball, track. I did that for six years, right? Junior high and then high school. One of the things that you think about, those are kind of like, for the most part, team sports. But there was, a, there was another thing that was much more individual when I was growing up that I, I paid attention to as well. I don't know if anybody remembers the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. Anybody remember the president? I don't know what happened to that when it went away, but it's no longer here. And it's changed through the years. It's changed through the decades. And, and even whatever school you were at in, in region, I was in Iowa, they, they would even insert other things. Uh, other kind of events to, to get this award, to get this patch. And I was always working hard to get that patch, to get the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. The mile was always the killer. Like, that was just torture, because I could, I could run fast, but I didn't want to run far, and so that was tough. At our school, because we were small, junior high, high school, we, we shared the same guy's locker room. And in the men's locker room, uh, we had a sheet of paper, and it had every record to all those different events. Whoever was the best in the school, got their name on that piece of paper. And I remember walking by that paper and watching other guys look at that paper. We'd just kind of study it, and we'd look at those numbers of what they were doing and, you know, how fast they ran or how many, how many pull-ups or even how much they were pressing sometimes. I mean, it's just all these different things, and we kind of idolized these people and the hard work they put in to be the very best in our school. And there was a couple of those that I thought, you know what? I think I can work towards that, and I want to get my name up there. I want, I want my name on that piece of paper. And there were two things that I thought I could get. One was the 50-yard the dash, our school had added that, and the sit-ups. And so uh, I, I worked, I worked hard on those things. And sure enough, one, one of the years, I got the record in the 50-yard dash. I'm so old, I was running on cinder. Anybody, I don't know if you've ever run on cinder track. Uh, and I ran barefoot. Like, I didn't have cleats or anything. I just took my shoes off and got the work. Ha ha, Tim Johnson, Chris Sorensen. Then when it comes to the sit-ups, I worked and worked and worked, and, and I got the sit-up award because underneath all this fat, I'm ripped, right? So <laughs> I don't remember what it was, like 70-something sit-ups in a minute. Sorry, Scott Trinhale, Chris Sorensen. You don't care. If that piece of paper isn't there anymore, I worked. I can put effort and energy. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, the paper's gone. I bet the window's gone. Like most of the schools I went to, they're like gone. It's amazing what we will pour our lives into and put such effort and energy for things that just don't last and quite frankly, don't matter. Paul says if these people, they're going to work so hard with their diet and their energy and all this stuff and they're getting a stupid wreath what should you and I be doing as Christians for something that lasts forever? What's better than eternity? What's better than the glory of God and the fame of Jesus Christ than people coming to know him and existing forever with life, real life? Paul says, let's run after that. Let's make this our goal. So he says, verse 26, I don't run aimlessly. It's like, I, I know where I'm going. When you know the, the boundaries of the track, the lanes, you, you know where the edge of the field is at. I know the direction that I'm going. When you don't, in your life, you don't have any goal. You have no idea why you're here. You're running around aimlessly. You sit there and you think, well, why am I here? Like in those moments of observation, you're just like, what does any of this matter? What's the purpose of life? 
But when God in his mercy and his grace opens your eyes and your ears so that you might understand the gospel, that you are a sinner in need of a savior. He is your creator who has come and sent his son, Jesus Christ, and died on the cross for those sins. And when you receive him by faith, your sins are forgiven. They're washed clean. You're made right with God. He gives his spirit to you. And now out of Christ living in us, through us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, we have purpose now and forever. This is our goal. This is our effort. This is our energy, not in us, but in Christ. So then Paul says, I don't box as one beating the air. Now he's mixing his metaphors. I thought we were in a race. What does a boxing match have to do about this? Well, who's his opponent? Verse 27. But I discipline my body. My body. I think his opponent is himself. Just like for you and me, our biggest opponent is ourself, our flesh, the things we want, the things that we desire, the image that we want to project, to be able to die to ourselves, to allow Christ to live in us and through us, to not virtue signal, but to have true virtue through the person of Christ, true godliness through him. That's the battle. He says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, this is the whole point, not getting into heaven, preaching to others, giving the gospel, that I myself should be disqualified. Most people in our world, they're controlled by their body. They're controlled by their desires. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, that we are to crucify the flesh with its passions. This is a challenge, but this is life. And this is the call that God has given to all of us, that we would step into this race And it's not a race to earn your salvation. That work has been done by Jesus Christ. This race is done through the divine power of God in us through his spirit. This is you not running a race out of your own energy. This is you keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. You being empowered by the love of Christ. You're not loving, you're not running to the love of Christ. You're running from the love of Jesus Christ poured into your heart so that you would put effort and energy and sacrifice and determination not just into your life, but into the life of Christ for the gospel, for the good news that others around you might know him. Let's pray. Father, I can't do anything on my own. The only lasting thing in this world doesn't come from my effort, my energy, It comes from what you do in hearts and souls to awaken a spirit that they might know you. And so, Father, I, we rededicate ourselves to this purpose. Not that we would live for our own glory, for our own fame, for our own pride. Not so that we would run in fear, hoping that you would love us, but out of the love that you've given to us through your son, Jesus Christ, the love you have poured into our hearts, the empowerment from your spirit, that we would continue to move forward so that others around us might know you, love you, receive you. We thank you, Father, that we can be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We can't do that on our own. We need your empowerment to do that. We thank you. In your name we pray. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.